0: It is kind of strange to think that uh, Easter is two weeks away. I mean, next Sunday will be Palm Sunday. Uh, It it kind of happens pretty quickly. Normally you have a tip-off that Easter or Christmas is on its way because you know, somebody's come out with a book just like disproving that Jesus really exists and, you know, all these incredible evidences that they've just come up with and the historical Jesus, you know, Dan Brown, whatever, you know. So uh, it's been kind of quiet. There hasn't been a whole lot of uh, weird books coming out. So uh, most people don't realize that actually Easter uh, is coming. But, you know, hey, we'll give Time Magazine and a few others another week or so. Something will crop up, yeah. you know. But uh, I am excited about uh, looking at... Uh, Isaiah, this book of Isaiah, because it's so, you know, as we finish the series on this book of Isaiah, but I say finish the series, but really we don't finish the series because Good Friday uh, is a big portion of Isaiah we'll be covering in our Good Friday services, uh, because Isaiah 53 is this incredible section in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, which talks very specifically about Jesus, anticipated death on the cross and crucifixion. And also, interestingly or mysteriously, most Jewish synagogues conveniently don't read Isaiah 53. I mean, they'll just go like through Isaiah and then like, no, not 53. We just like because it's so sort of obvious that it's Jesus. But of course, the, the incredible thing is that this was written. Isaiah was written like 700 years before Jesus was even born. And uh, it's just the most, uh, you know, this scripture that we're looking at today, uh, Isaiah, it's just so uh, uh, sort of breathtaking in the sense that so much was said so early on before uh, things actually happened, with Isaiah predicting that things were going to happen, and then the things Isaiah predicted happened, and now we, look, we live on this side of history where we can see both. We can say, okay, he predicted some incredible things. Or prophesied, I should say, would be the, the whole better word. God gave him uh, insight of what was going to happen. And then it came to pass. And, uh, you know, then the people were sort of, so, sort of ho-hum. It was like, yeah, well, okay, God's incredible, but what about me today and my problems? And that's where we line up today as well. You know, I'm going to be sharing with... All these incredible things that Isaiah said, and we're like, "Oh, okay, but you know that was a long time ago, and those nations have come and gone. And what about my problems today?" And uh, you know, the good news is that although we're looking at sort of history and what God did do, the encouragement is that God is still active today, and He's still interested in your situation today. And so, I've titled today's message: "God Can Do the Impossible in Your Life." I mean, we'll see the impossible God has done in history. You know, the prediction of Jesus' death on the cross, and then Jesus actually being born, Uh, and then fulfilling it exactly the way it was said in Isaiah 53. But God is interested in your life, and uh, He can do the impossible in your life. And there's a sense of expectation, or should I say there's a level of faith where we depend, we like to see, and God wants us to depend on Him for things happening in our lives today. And the one thing God does want to do, and we're going to look at this scripture, is He does want to bring comfort to the brokenhearted. That, that's sort of God's personality. It's who God is. You know, as we get to know and discover God, we find out that God is loving. Not only is He loving generally, but He loves you personally and then it's kind of scary when you realize that god knows you as well as god knows you but god is for you he's not against you he's like i, I want to express my love to you i want to guide you to live the way i want you to live i want to bless you uh, you know and god is saying if you'll live according to my ways you will be blessed and you will experience god's love and human nature because we're broken because we fallen fallen people we're constantly pulling away from God. We're constantly thinking our ideas are way better than God's ideas. Our designs and our plans and our hopes, we'll just invent them and go for, go for them in our own strength. And then we get like disappointed and God starts again. And he's saying, I'm still encouraging you. I don't care how much you've messed up or what things you've done. Start again. Start again. Uh, and so we start again. You know, there's a, I was speaking to somebody the other day, <clears throat> and they said, Oh, you know, I've just like, been really working hard at getting my life in order, and, uh, you know, I've just done a complete 360. I mean, I've worked so hard, I'm going to start again. I'm like, 360, huh? So you're right back to where you started. <laughs> yep, that'll kind of describe it. Now, listen, when you've got Jesus in your life, it's not a 360, it's a 180. Now, it's like watching the Olympics, like 360, 720, you know, guys, like, what is he doing? Just don't kill yourself. Oh, it's a 1040. Oh my gosh. No, the only number you want to learn is 180. You were going this way. God fixes up your life and you're going this way with Jesus. That's God's, always God's plan. It's called repentance and you like turn from what you were doing and you go with God in this way and it goes awesome with you for your life. That, that's the plan. That's God's big plan. All right, well, we'll get down to some uh, specifics here. God can do the impossible in your life. If you've got a bulletin insert, you might want to follow along with me. I've got some of the outlines here. But God can do the impossible things in your life, and He particularly wants to comfort the brokenhearted. I don't know what stage or what phase or where you are in life, but I guarantee you, if you're not brokenhearted today, there will come times in your life, there will come a time, or has been a time, or you are in a season where you are sad or you're brokenhearted or the way you thought your life was going to go, it doesn't go that way, uh, or sometimes, you know, just the, the brevity of life uh, sort of surprises us. Uh, Debbie Dean, who's our children's director, she's not here today uh, because uh, she is accompanying her dad at his church uh, for the first time since Debbie's mother died a week ago. So, Very unexpected. Debbie leaves here. She's going home. Uh, her mom phones and says, Hey, can you pick up something at the grocery store? So she goes into the grocery store. She's picking up whatever it was her mom wanted. And uh, she's still busy checking out. Her dad phones and says, Your mom is unconscious. She's on the ground and I can't revive her. And I've called 911. By the time Debbie got home, her mom was dead. Last Saturday, we did the fu- you know, they did the funeral down there. I mean, she died Wednesday. Saturday, she's already had the funeral. Now, I want to say this. That's the sort of funeral, because a lot of you came down to that, that I would want to have for my funeral. I'll tell you why. Because it's simultaneously extremely sad, and you like grieving. But on the other hand, it's extremely like encouraging to hear a whole bunch of people that believe in Jesus and have a sense of faith and have a sense of hope for eternity. The family members are sharing, I mean... Debbie sharing and her dad shares and her nephew shares and and I'm thinking each one of them you know they're living in this tension of unbelievable grief and trying to come to terms with what's happened but on the other hand having this incredibly strong faith and a sense of hope and a sense of it's not all done and it's not all over with we're going to see mom again or grandma again and uh, it was just a it was just a really um, you know as bad or as difficult as funeral services can be that was really good. It was really special. But what I am saying is, now uh, Debbie is, you know, in this stage where she needs to be comforted, and her dad needs to be comforted, and uh, so they're dealing with the grief and they're dealing with, you know, moving on. But at the same time, there's this very real sense, and you could, you could, it was like tangible at the at the funeral service where God was comforting, and you could sense the comfort of God in really just awful circumstances. And that's the, the reality of a life lived out with the Lord. He comforts the brokenhearted. Let me just, uh, let me just pray. Jesus, I just pray that uh, you just breathe on your words as I preach from your Bible. And uh, Lord, we just pray that uh, you would speak to each one of us today, that you would indeed comfort those that are brokenhearted. Uh, Lord, you'd provide strength for those that are weak. Lord, those that are feeling like outcast or uh, unable or just messed up so badly, Lord, that you would encourage and you would strengthen and you would breathe life into us. So Lord, just uh, empower me as I preach today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So I want to make the first point here is God uh, does comfort the brokenhearted. uh, And God uh, does do the impossible. But I have to acknowledge when you read uh, Isaiah or the Old Testament, it just seems like God is distant or God is removed. You know, it was then as opposed to right now. And uh, Isaiah just covers a sweep of history and uh, a whole bunch of different kings and rulers. But in Isaiah 48, uh, 6, this verse, it says this, You have heard my predictions and seen them fulfilled. But you refuse to admit it. Now, I will tell you new things, secrets you have not heard. And so Isaiah, the, the prophet, has got this incredibly difficult job where God is asking him to speak to his people, to encourage them. And uh, he does, and he tells them what God is going to do, and God does the things that he said he's going to do. And then the people still don't follow. They still don't believe. And Isaiah saying through God, the Father said, even though I told you this was going to happen... And even though it did happen, you still don't believe. And, you know, that applies to us today. I mean, you hear preachers like myself talking about Jesus and the the way Jesus can be personal. And we're talking about, you know, as we build up to Easter, that Jesus died on the cross to make things right between us and God. And, And we'll say, yeah, but that was long ago, and I don't really get it for myself today. And God is saying, look, I've showed you. I've proved it to you. I've done it in the past. And yet you still don't believe. And God is not like shaking your finger. He's like saying, come on now. I know you're a little slow to get it, but I'm still for you. I'm still trying to pull you in the right direction. And that's what we see here in in Isaiah. And you know, some of the predictions, besides Jesus in Isaiah 53, you know, Isaiah is predicting, uh, from chapter 1 to chapter 39, he's predicting, like, okay, people, you need to, like, follow the Lord. And, uh, and he's saying to the people, you're not really uh, that righteous, but you need to be righteous and you need to live according to the Torah, the way that God had, had spilt it out. And if you do, you'll be blessed, but they just are unable to do it. And God is not like really interested in giving up on them. He is saying, okay, we're going to work this out. And then he says to the people that after chapter 39, when you move into chapter 40, he starts talking about the, to the Jewish people and say, you're going to be removed and go into captivity. But what Isaiah is telling him is so incredible because he's not actually focusing on the fact that they're going to go into captivity. He's talking about when they come back out of captivity. And the mind-bending thing is this. The people that were uh, oppressing them, uh, the Syrians, weren't really the issue. They weren't the people that took them into captivity. It was the Babylonians. And it wasn't the Babylonians that ended up releasing them it was the persians and isaiah says in advance the name of the king before i don't know if the king was even born but he certainly wasn't the king and his name was unheard of and the persians weren't the powerful nation at that point he says the name is cyrus and the king cyrus is going to be the person that i'm going to use god to make sure that you get released and come back to jerusalem this is before they've even been taken out of jerusalem I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's just like, you know, you have to read it to believe it. I mean, and it rolled out just that way. And all that to say, we're looking at the ramifications as we build up to Easter, as we build up to what Jesus has done and is doing in our lives now. But we look at the Old Testament and, and we develop assurance of the personality of God and the way that God just never gives up on us. That's the, the thing that comes through here. And so, in chapters uh, 40 to 55, what we find out in that chapter is although God desires us to live a righteous life, uh, we actually can't do it. And we come to find out that God's grace does not depend on our righteousness. I mean, it's a phenomenal thing. God is saying, My grace to you does not depend on how good you are. And this comes through the new testament and it gives us a lot of hope because god is saying i'm, I'm always going to be a god of grace i'm always going to give you encouragement and it doesn't depend on how righteous you are it's because god is righteous and he's going to impute that righteousness to us we need to be righteous but he's going to do it for us and then in chapters 56 to 66 uh, god uh, isaiah pulls us all together and he basically makes one point he says your birthright is not what your relationship with God is all about. In other words, it's not such a big deal that you're born Jewish, or you're born as a Christian in today's terms. The big deal is your relationship with God, no matter who you are. And God is saying, I am a God of all nations, and I'm interested in, it, in all people. And God does require us to live righteous li- lives, and uh, He's going to help us by the power of His Holy Spirit. It's what Jesus has done and Him giving us the power of the Holy Spirit that we can become righteous, not because we can do it in our own strength. Like, we'll just do the 360. We'll just like try really, 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 really hard, Are we're back to where we were. No. With the Holy Spirit, you're like, okay, I've got an addiction or I've got a problem or I'm focused on this, and the Holy Spirit says, no, no. You're going to go this direction. I'll give you a different focus, a different energy, a different amount of you know, desire to do the right thing. That's what the Holy Spirit does. From chapters uh, 55 to 66, some of it hasn't even been fulfilled yet. We're still talking about things that are still about to happen. And that is when Jesus returns. And then there's a whole bunch of what that's going to look like. I mean, the book of Isaiah is just such a big book which covers just so many awesome things it's kind of fun to spend you know, a few weeks uh, looking at this and just preaching on it. But I do want you to just, as we go into Easter, because we'll be focusing you know, on Jesus, I do want you to just pay attention to all the Isaiah quotes that you're going to be hearing uh, in the sermons coming up. And I really, really hope that uh, you can make one of the Good Friday services. Uh, with The ecumenical service that we're going to have here, we do this, uh, the last time we hosted it, was about, um, I don't know, eight years or so ago. We don't, because we go to all the different churches in, in, in Hopkinson. But I, I encourage you to come to that in that you will experience all the different traditions. So the Catholic guys will be very Catholic, the Episcopal guys will be very Episcopal, and they'll wear their robes and all their stuff. And then I'll be like, who brought you in? And like, okay, next year we get out of this place and we'll do it back at the you know wherever they come from. So, but it's kind of fun because we all agree that we're going to be who we are, and uh, and so you know Brian will be leading us in worship. And already they were saying, okay, now which hymns are you going to sing? And I said, no hymns, no hymns. We've done all the hymns when we are your church, but when we are our church, no, we're going to do like, well, whatever. You get it. I mean, not not that there's anything wrong with hymns. It, Yep. Okay. So God uh, can do the the impossible, but God does seem to be a a little removed. Now, if we pick it up here in Isaiah 61, chapter 61, verse one and two, let me just read this to you. It says, "The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me." Now, this has created all sorts of uh, problems for the Jewish people because it's like, who are they talking about? Is this Isaiah that the spirit of the Lord is upon, or is this like perhaps Jesus? Uh, But anyway, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. I mean, you're talking about a hope-filled, comfort-filled passage where God is saying, I am going to comfort you. That's my heart. That's my di- desire. Now, for those of you that are familiar with uh, Scripture, you will know that uh, Jesus picks up on this. And so if the first part of my message is, you know, Isaiah can seem distant. It can seem a little dated. It can seem like God is not accept- accessible. What I w- the point I want to make now is that Jesus is very accessible and jesus starts his ministry Uh, in in the gospel of luke uh, we see that uh, jesus got the genealogy and you know the christmas themes and and then the very first thing jesus does is he gets tempted by satan goes out in the wilderness gets tempted by satan and in that same chapter chapter four of luke uh, we hear that jesus coming into his hometown And he goes to the temple as he normally goes to. And as is the tradition, they'll have somebody read the scripture. And they give him the scroll of Isaiah. Now remember, the scrolls don't have chapters and verses. So they get the scroll. And the thing is like super thick. You know, it's like we got 66 chapters. I mean, it's a big thing. And Jesus like kind of goes through the scroll. And you've got to turn it this way and unwind it this way. And, And he's going through and he gets down here, you know, to chapter 61. And he finds that very verse I've just read. And then... Look, reading it from the uh, New Testament, from the book of uh, of Luke, chapter 4, it says this, "'The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, "The Lord, "'The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. "'He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. "'He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, "'that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free.' and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Okay, so Jesus says, I know read that, but what I read, it's all about me. And it has been fulfilled. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? And uh, in very short measure, Jesus goes from being like, everybody's just gracious and they're amazed and they're like, it's incredible. And then they do what you and I would do too. But isn't God like not so real? And isn't Jesus just like a human? And isn't he like, so-and-so's son and don't we know Jesus' brother's like who does he think he is you know and we sort of do the same things like yeah God is there but I mean I don't think he really knows me and I don't think he really empower me and Jesus like no I, I really am who I said I am and I've come to do the things I've come to do and then you find in short measure the people go from this guy's so wonderful to I want to kill him and why do they want to kill him it's like you know A few verses later, it's still in the same setting of when he's just read this scripture to them. Well, they want to kill him because Jesus starts making heroes of all the enemies. He starts giving examples where all these non-Jewish people are the heroes of the story. And he's doing it from the Old Testament. He's taking Old Testament stories and he's pointing out to them, look, this dude was not a Jewish guy, but he was the good guy in the story. And the people want to just kill him. It's like, oh, no, no, Jesus, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. We want you to be this way. And we make the same mistake when we start saying, God, you know, Jesus, you need to do this in my life. You shouldn't do something else. This is the way I want you to do it. But when we can relax and just say, okay, God, you know, you're in charge. Let me follow you instead of dictating to you what I want you to do. And then we allow the Spirit of God to move in us. Good things happen to us. And that's when we start seeing the impossible become possible in our lives. When God is talking here, Jesus changes it. And he says it's not just the poor like the financially poor or those that don't have material possessions. We see as Jesus preaches in the Sermon of the Mount, he says, no, the poor is like the spiritually poor, the people that are like broken uh, spiritually. He's saying, I want to help those. I want to bring good news to those people, those people that are distressed or are feeling under stress or are feeling hopeless. God is saying, I want to reach out and comfort them. I want to bring hope to a world which is broken. I want to help people in a very real way. Last week, I, I made such a fool of myself unintentionally. Uh, I was out running with the Hopkins and Running Club, and we were running in a group, and, and one guy was running in the opposite direction. He's coming towards us, and I recognized him, and I hadn't seen him for a while, and I, and I just said, you know, Hi, how are you doing? And as he was going by, I said, Just give my regards to your wife. And we went by, and the guy I was running with said, you know, they're divorced. And I'm like, what? I mean, these people were like super tight. I mean, it just, they were just a great married family. And of course, I couldn't get my words back. I mean, he's gone, and I'm here. And I'm thinking, oh, how could I have said that? How would I have known? You know, but apparently for six months, they would just been divorced. And, I'm, and just as I'm running, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, the hurt and the brokenheartedness. And, you know... What do you say? How do you comfort somebody like that? You just know that both their worlds are a world of hurt and of discouragement and whatever. But yet, God is saying to us, no matter what our hurt, no matter what's happening, He really, really does want to get involved in our lives and make a difference. God wants the impossible to be possible now in our lives. You know, again and again at the Vineyard, we have this thing, we talk about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a mystery and a tension in, in a sense, because on the one hand, uh, God can do the impossible now. On another hand, God can do the impossible very, very soon. And on another hand, God will do the impossible only in eternity. And also we look at the past and say, well, God has done the impossible, but that doesn't impact me now. And we like, okay, so which is it? Is God going to get involved in my life or isn't he? And the answer is yes. Well, is he going to do it now? Yes. Is he going to do it soon? Yes. Is he going to do it in the future? Yes. Well, can you pick one? Like, and God says, well, that's just the way it is. We live in the mystery of this tension. It doesn't mean that God's any less real. And in fact, the same account that I've just read it to you from Luke, if you look at it in the Gospel of Mark, which Mark's Short Gospels, like everything's in a hurry and everything's urgent, so real quick. So there's only like two lines in, in Mark which everybody else will spend, you know, 20 lines in. But Mark says this, chapter 1, verse 14. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee. I mean, no elaboration, just like John was arrested, Jesus in Galilee, doesn't tell you about the temple when he picks up the scripture, where he preached God's good news. And then it says this, the time promised by God, has come at last. Okay, the time has come. It has come. Why has it come? Because Jesus is standing there He says, I am here. It has come. And then in the very same breath, Jesus announced, The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And you've got to say, wait, wait. Didn't you just say it has come? And now you're telling me, well, it's near. Well, is it near or is it has come? And Jesus said, yeah, it is. Just, just that. I have come, and it is near, simultaneously. And we look at that and we say, yes, because, God, you are somewhat mysterious. You know, we understand you, but we don't understand you totally. And so we can pour out our heart to God, we can pour out our problems to God, and we can expect God to understand them, and we can expect God to be real in our lives. But just because God doesn't answer the prayer exactly the way you want it, we can say, well... That doesn't mean God's not real, and doesn't mean God's not all powerful. God might be near. It might be not just yet. Maybe tomorrow, the next day. You know, I had a friend of mine. He, it's hard for me to say uh, he was a friend of mine because I mean he was just in a whole other social class to me. He was the, the CEO of a major uh, international American company. He ran the the German division, and uh, they called him back uh, to Boston to uh, as a promotion to run, really, the, the, the vice president of this ma- major international, multinational company. But when they invited him back, uh, he inherited a whole other division, which he had very little experience with, which was IT. So he was good in the manufacturing and the production and the planning and the vision and all that stuff. But now, all of a sudden, he had IT, and he didn't know anything about IT, And he was about to go into a meeting where they were going to grill him about all the IT problems and what he was going to do about him and what the vision was. And and IT was becoming a real big issue in this company. And then he told me, he said, and I, I just can't get this picture out of my mind because it's so awesome. He says, I was so nervous. He said, I had no idea what to do. He said, so I went to the bathroom. And I got down to the stall, and I got down on my knees. And I'm picturing, this, okay, here's this business executive. He's like super smart. He's done like a huge amount of experience. He said, I got down on my knees, and I prayed to Jesus. I said, oh, Jesus, please help me as I go. I don't know if it's a shareholders meeting, a board meeting, or whatever. Just give me some wisdom as to what to do. And he said, I was just petrified. And he said, he went into the meeting, and he said, it was incredible. He said, like, everything just unfolded, and we figured out solutions. And he just said, it can only be Jesus. Only Jesus can provide an answer to something that this super smart, intellectual, competent, capable person realized he could not come up with an answer for. And it was just a, you know, just, just a great visual. Can you just imagine this corporate executive in the stall, you know, on his knees, just praying. And then God coming through. Uh, it just—it's a—you know—God can do it for all of us and for any of us. None of us are too smart or too big for God, and none of us are too poor or too broken-hearted or too out of there. God loves all of us, and we're all in His care and we're all in His love. So let me just uh, say this as I finish: You know, your best days might still be before you. You haven't like used them all up. They're still great things ahead for all of us. doesn't matter if we're in a season that's where we're brokenhearted. Uh, it doesn't matter that things may seem heavy for us. God is always in the business of lifting us up, of encouraging us, of saying, you can get through this difficult season. You will get through this difficult season. And God is saying, I want to give you my Holy Spirit. I want to help you. I don't want my people to stay brokenhearted forever. There are seasons where we can grieve, but then... There's seasons where God is saying, I've got good things in store for each and every one of us. We have that hope. We just can't, you know, dictate to God exactly how that happens. Why don't you stand and why don't we have the worship team uh, come on up and we'll do some ministry at the end of worship. Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you are a God who is real, that you know each one of our problems, you know what stresses us out, and you say you want to comfort the brokenhearted. Uh, Lord, you know that we get in a mess sometimes because we created ourselves, and sometimes we get brokenhearted just because life is short and people die. And Lord, sometimes we get brokenhearted for no fault of anybody. It's just sad things are happening. And so Lord, we just thank you that you encourage us and strengthen us and believe in us. You've sent your Holy Spirit to be with us. And we thank you, Lord, that we can come to church and experience your power, and your joy, and that you can transform us, that we can leave different, because you promise that you will be with us. In your name, Jesus. Amen.